few weeks ago, uh, on our way back home from camp, I had a van filled with, um, with boys who were normally among um, the most talkative. We'll just say that. High energy, love them. Um, but after camp, amazingly, these fellas were completely silent. Didn't make a peep. And so uh, Tana was riding with me. I don't know if Tana's here. But I was like, you've got to take a video of this. So I, I have a video on my phone of these boys completely silent. And their parents wouldn't believe it, honestly. Um, so it, it was great because I welcomed the quiet. It gave me a chance to kind of turn my thoughts toward today and uh, breathe a little bit after a week of camp. Because I've been really excited about sharing with you guys about Zootopia. Because we really love Disney, and you know that already. But, <laughs> uh, but I really do love this movie. I love the themes that are running throughout it. There's so many things that, that you could pull out from this movie. So many characters that are fantastic. So I knew. I knew what I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about community and what it means to be a contributor instead of a consumer. And I was going to have tables out there, and you guys were going to run out there and volunteer to be kids' ministry volunteers. And then a little voice came from the back of the van, piped up over the silence, and it was my friend Brayden. My friend Brayden, and he said, Hey, Pastor Jen, have you ever seen that movie Zootopia? Well, yeah, buddy, I've seen it. Well, I just think that that is the best movie they have ever made. Okay. Um, why do you say that, buddy? He said, well, it's all about courage. You remember that, buddy? He said, the whole thing is about being brave. And then he proceeded to give me the whole synopsis in detail. So if you've not seen the movie and you want to know all about it, Brayden knows it. There was a, in fact, there was one point when he said, <laughs> I asked him a question about it, and he went, what are you talking about? Have you even seen the movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I hadn't seen it through his eyes. And it was so cool to just hear him talk about what it meant to be courageous and be brave. Um, thank you, Brayden. You kind of uh, changed course for us today, but I want to talk about courage today. And to put it simply, courage is the ability to do something that you know is difficult or dangerous. And I think that courage is something that we all want to say that we have. We all want to say that we're courageous people. None of us want to say that we're fearful people, right? We want to be courageous. We want to be brave. It's so appealing. The idea of it is just, like, great. And then you say words like difficult and dangerous. And that's not fun. And so, you know, I think a lot of times I'll just settle for my couch and my quiet complacency, my contentment, instead of building courage. I think that our hero in Zootopia, have you seen it? If you've seen it, raise your hand. All right, okay, okay. I think it's out on DVD now, or Blu-ray, <laughs> VHS. Um, 
so our hero is Judy Hopps, and she's a little bunny. And so I think that she's probably one of the most courageous characters that I've seen in a movie in a long time. And so I want to take a look at our friend Judy. So um, her parents remind me of mine. Um, when my parents dropped me off at Trevecca, so you, if you've ever been there, you know that Trevecca is located basically in the projects of Nashville or one of the projects in Nashville. And so my dad's last words to me were, don't turn left. Not, I love you, honey, was don't turn left. So I understand um, Judy's parents a lot. But didn't you, oh, that Gideon Gray, didn't you just mm, want to get him? I don't like the, the words that they used, but um, Judy knew. Judy knew from the very beginning that this dream of hers was going to be filled with difficulty and danger. Um, she knew the risks, and she knew that she had to be confident when others, even her parents, didn't believe in her, when they were fearful, or when she was being bullied. Doing the thing that she believed she was made to do took courage, and it took something from deep down inside her to persevere and do hard things. Now, I think that this hero of ours, it reminds me of another hero that we'll get to in just a minute, um, but I'm going to give you a little history, because history is fun, right? We haven't been in school for a few uh, weeks. We're ready to get back into it. Um, a little bit of, of the history of Israel 101. Okay, so the Israelites, way long time ago, were enslaved in Egypt. We all know this story, or most of us do. And then after some, shall we say, coercing uh, from uh, God in the form of some pretty gross plagues, the Pharaoh in Egypt let the people go. And then for years they wander in the desert under the leadership of Moses. They finally get to the promised land, and Joshua gives each of the 12 tribes of Israel, there's going to be a test, a part of the land in which to settle. So as can be expected, they came up against battles on a regular basis, and they decided that they were going to be stronger together. If they were unified under one kind of group, that they would be stronger. And so they started to beg for a king who would unite them and fight for them. So along comes Saul. Now, kids, we've been talking about Saul, Paul, different person. This is the guy in the Old Testament who would become the first king of Israel. And he was tall, and he was stately, and he looked like a king. He looked like everything you would imagine a king should look like. And so the people put their trust in him. They believed that he was going to win the battle for them. They thought that he could protect them. Now, the problem is, is that Saul decided to take things into his own hands. Rather than trust God and obey God, he decided that, that he could do things the way that he wanted to do them. And so God, being God and being in charge, said, eh, time for a new king. And so this is where we find ourselves today. Who can guess who we might be talking about today? Boom, you guys are awesome. So we're going to read from 1 Samuel, and um, I'm going to jump around just a little bit, okay? So I'm going to read it how I have it. You don't have to follow along because I might mess you up. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul 
I have rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, one of Jesse's sons, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son, Abinadab, to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes, and the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. God looks at the heart, not outer appearances. Now, um, as a kid, I always assumed that David was a kid. But David was about 20 years old when this happened. And, um, but he was still the youngest. And so he wasn't the strongest-looking son of Jesse. In fact, he was a shepherd and a musician, not exactly like a dude. Not warrior material, right? It's as though God wanted to show people that the heart of the issue of courage is that it's an issue of the heart. So fast forward a little way, and Saul, King Saul, is beginning to be tormented by fear and paranoia. David is called upon to play the harp for him to help soothe his mind. Now, it's not clear whether David knew that the purpose of Samuel's anointing earlier was for him to be king, but to us, as we read the text, we know that the future king was called upon to play the harp for the crazy king. Seems like he was being underused, possibly underpaid. Yet he's playing the harp. The heart of the issue of courage is that it's an issue of the heart. And so we get to the kicker of the story. Our hero has to face the giant. Dun, dun, dun. Saul is kept busy fighting against the enemy known as the Philistines. So David goes back home, and he's a shepherd once again. 
But while he's busy protecting sheep, the battle was raging, and this is how it was going. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion, Goliath, strutted in front of the Israelite army. 40 days. One day, Jesse said to David, take this basket and give it to your brothers. Basket of food. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report of how they're doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. I just want you to visualize what's going on here, okay? He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. They were ready. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. Just imagine like Gideon Gray, you know. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who defeats him. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, "Uh, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? This is a little tidbit that um, I've always overlooked. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now? David replied. I'm using some uh, license here probably. With I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul. And the king sent for him. Oh boy. Don't worry about this Philistine, David David told King Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You are only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Can you just imagine? Probably laughed a little bit. He said, when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. I wonder if that's how he, I wonder if he said it. All right, go ahead. I, I don't know how, what his vocal inflection was, but I think that it was probably one of this dude is going to like be in big trouble. Then Saul gave David his own armor. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into a shepherd's bag. 
Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer in front of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David. Do you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. David replied to the Philistine, You come with me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into a shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Hmm. So yeah, I could say that David was courageous. He did something that was difficult and, shall we say, dangerous. <laughs> um, just like Judy, Hoffs, he had a giant to overcome. But before that battle, there were other smaller giants to overcome. Sure, we read the story, and David's confidence is amazing. But David's confidence was being built day by day by day. It was built when he was fighting animals. It was being built when he was being put in his place by his family. Did you hear those giants? I believe it's easy for us to look at his great success without understanding that it probably wasn't as easy as it seemed. Imagine, fighting wild animals, probably not easy. He probably left those battles with a few scars. Wouldn't you think? The belittling, belittling family member? <laughs> I doubt that the cutting remark that his brother made was the first. The king who failed to see his potential? The taunts of a much, much bigger enemy? David was courageous, yes. <laughs> um, but I wonder how you or I would fare in the face of such giants. Um, I think that we might be a little bit more like our friend Judy. So prior to um, Judy getting stuck in the cement, she had gone in for her first day being a police officer, and there's a big problem out there. Animals were turning savage, and... Um, and that, that there were some missing animals and she wanted to, to be on the case. I mean, she was valedictorian of her class and she was assigned to be a meter maid. And then she couldn't even do that right. Uh, fast forward a little bit and um, she cracked the case, but it turns out that the way that she presented it didn't go over so well. And um, there was division and fighting amongst the people in Zootopia. So she felt like a, a big failure. I wonder if, um, if you 
face those kinds of giants. Not many of us have uh, Goliath in our lives, but maybe we face the giant like duty of pride. Um, thinking I, I was made for more than this and I deserve more than this. You're clearly qualified, but you're stuck being a meter maid. Or like David, you've been anointed as king, and yet you're playing the harp. Maybe it's the giant of not being enough, of looking at yourself in the mirror and seeing that you don't look fit for this battle. The giant of comparison, self-criticism, focusing on your smallness rather than God's bigness. Or maybe it's the giant of hearing the voices of others replaying and replaying and replaying. Perhaps you face the giant of your past, your mistakes, of messing up and fearing you'll just do it again. I'm not sure what David's brother was speaking of when he said, I know you and your deceitful ways. But he was clearly putting David in his place and bringing up the past. Judy went back home because she failed the city of Zootopia. So the past, past mistakes, past failures, they can be the giants that never seem to go away, taunting us bullying us, telling us that we aren't strong enough to face them. Some giants are pretty obvious, but some aren't. Maybe the giants you face don't seem like giants at all because most of the giants in our lives show up in small, unassuming ways. Um, spoiler alert, but I can't help but think that the mayor of Zootopia was a sheep because no one would ever think that she could inflict harm. Sure, that website, no problem. It's harmless. Disobeying my parents just this once, not a big deal. What harm is this glance at a coworker or saying something unkind about someone that I'll never meet? Unforgiveness, bad attitudes, a critical spirit. Unfortunately, sometimes it's the smallest giants that are the most difficult to overcome, aren't they? Because no one else sees them. Remember, at the heart of the issue of courage, that it's an issue of the heart. Boom. <laughs> Were you surprised? So... Okay, so after reading the text for today, something struck me that hadn't struck me before. And it's this. Goliath probably never imagined that he was the bad guy. If you look back in chapter 4 in 1 Samuel, you see that the Philistines were filled with fear. They had heard the stories of the people of Israel being freed from Egypt and all of the plagues. They, they knew they had heard the stories of what their God had done, and they were afraid. And so, for years and years and years, they had been conditioned to fight the Israelites 
to protect themselves. I'd always imagined that they were just mean people, when in reality they didn't know anything other than fear. And while that doesn't excuse Goliath's behavior, it does give some insight because he felt completely justified in his actions. As did the mayor in Zootopia. Never in her wildest dreams would she imagine that she was the bad guy. She could justify what she was doing. It made sense to her. It was what she had to do to protect herself. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. What if I'm Goliath? Are there areas in my life that I'm hurting others because I'm afraid for my own well-being? Am I wanting control and lash out when I feel out of control? Do I operate out of fear and justify my actions because I don't want people to know who I really am? Do I not take action because I don't want to put myself out there? I think if we're honest, I think we could all be Goliath and not really realize it. But there's hope. There is hope. Um, David Busick, who is one of our general superintendents, he recently wrote, any spirit that leads you to be more judgmental, more critical, more violent, more harsh, or more hard rather than becoming more tender, more compassionate, more loving, more aware of the poor and the broken and the outsider and the outcast is not from Jesus. The heart of the issue of courage is that it's an issue of the heart. Now, David went on to be a great king. He made some big mistakes along the way, and he paid dearly for them. But he's been remembered as a man after God's heart. And I think that what sets David apart from anyone else is that he was courageous enough to allow God to search his heart. Uh, many of the Psalms are attributed to David, and perhaps the most courageous one he wrote was written after he had made some pretty terrible mistakes. This is from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. You do, not you do not desire sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. The heart of the issue of courage is that it's an issue of the heart. And I think you kids will like this. Um, I read a story by Max Lucado, and he went out of the country, came home, the power had gone out, everything in the refrigerator had gone bad. Ugh. Really smelled bad. So his wife said, 
honey, you got to take care of this. And so what he did was he thought that he would ignore it for a little while and maybe it would just clean itself. Didn't work. And so um, still stinky, uh, still gross. And then he thought, well, maybe I'll paint it. Maybe I'll just decorate it real nice. And, and then won't even notice that it stinks on the inside. Didn't work. Finally, he gathered all of the other refrigerators that had gone bad around the refrigerator because, you know, it was in good company. And really, it probably didn't stink as bad as his neighbors smelled, right? No. He had to get in there. He had to open the door. And he had to scrub it out. The hard work, the courageous work of asking God to cleanse our hearts. It's not easy at first, but oh man, when you do, when you trust him to do that, oh, it's a beautiful thing. He can do that work in you. Isn't that so amazing? That no matter what's in there, he can come in if we let him and just clean it out. I want us to be courageous today. I want us to be brave enough to open up that refrigerator door and say, all right, I know this stinks, but we really, really got to get it clean. Um, Brene Brown wrote, every time we choose courage, we make everyone around us a little braver, a little better, and our world could stand to be a little braver and kinder. I'm convinced that courage is contagious. I'm convinced that when we're vulnerable, we inspire others to open up to you. Your courage gives courage to others. Um, these verses are up on the screen, and, and they're going to stay up here, and this is what I'd like for you to do. When the band is playing, um, I actually have some basins of water up here and some towels. I want you to read these. Take a few moments and read uh, these verses. Because if you're like me, when you read that, something, there's something in there that speaks to you and you know, God, you want to do something in my heart. You want to do something. There are attitudes. There are sins. There, there are things that that I need you to do. You need to do this work in me. I can't do it on my own. And so I want you to pray where you are. And then as a response, as a response of courage, I want you to come forward. And I want you to dip your hands in the basin of water. And then just wipe your hands with a towel and take that towel home with you because I want it to be a reminder of what God is going to do in your heart. It's going to clean going to make it like new because only he can I invite you to take that step of courage I want you to know God's forgiveness I want you to know that he can make you brand new